This, uh, this weekend, um, I played music in front of people two times, Friday night and Saturday, but my wife always asks me, she says, like, she always asks me before I do it, she says, are you nervous? And I always say no, like, I'm never nervous about the music, never ner- nervous about doing it. Um, but every time I step on the stage, I'm nervous. And it's not, I mean, not just to preach, but, I mean, every time I lead worship. Uh, and it's not doing it in front of people, it's not the music, it's not the stuff like that, or, or the way the sermon's put together. It's just the, just knowing that I'm reading from the word of the Lord, and I'm, I'm teaching the word of the Lord. So as Carlton was praying over there, he prayed, you know, I'd be able to collect myself, and I was trying to do that over there, so uh, hopefully I won't be too weepy that I can actually um, get the sermon out today, but um, first of all, just turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 5.8, and our text this morning is going to begin there and go through chapter 6 and verse 12, so Ecclesiastes 5.8 through chapter 6 and verse 12. And I always try to begin every sermon by just reminding us that we're still worshiping, uh, and I need that reminder more than anything. Uh, I do it mostly for myself and hopefully for you guys too, uh, that we are still worshiping uh, because I need that reminder, and I always want to make sure we don't separate singing from what, what, we're, doing, what we're doing now. Or it's, it's all worship, right? And uh, so preaching really isn't a Bible study, or it's not, uh, it's, I think John Piper famously said, it's not a discussion, right? Okay, it's not, it's, not, it's not a Bible study or a discussion. There are times for these things in the body of Christ, and uh, we do these things, but uh, you know, preaching is ultimately worship. And that's what I want to try to do today. I want to try to worship the Lord. And so let's walk away today thinking about Jesus. Let's walk away today uh, just, you know, exulting in his word and exulting in the fact that we have heard this word together. We all need it. You need it. I need it. uh, And we desperately need it in the context of this gathered gathering today, the gathered saints of God on this Lord's day. So let's begin. I want to read our passage together, and it is kind of a lengthy passage this morning. So I want to make sure that we work uh, together and allow the scriptures to permeate our hearts. So uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 8, verses 6, uh, through verse, chapter 6, verse 12, 5, 8 through 6, 12. If you see in the province The oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger." 
Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Now beginning in chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The, the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Grace Fellowship, this is the word of the Lord. Um, so I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled, Work and Wealth Under the Sun. Work and Wealth Under the Sun. And we've established throughout our first ten or so, I think we've about, about ten or so sermons and uh, weeks preaching through this book. Uh, and it's a familiar refrain from Colette, the preacher, that... All life under the sun, it's the, the term that keeps coming up, under the sun is vanity and striving after the wind. And we've looked at different aspects of life that is vanity and striving after the wind. And today we want to look and zoom in on these verses and talk about the vanity of work and wealth. And we've worked hard. Everybody who's preached so far has worked really, really hard uh, to show you that instead of cause for despair, which we could easily read these verses and, and, and despair, instead of cause for despair at the message of this book, it is cause for great hope in the only one who can give yours and my life meaning under the sun and purpose. So as we look uh, at the vanity of work and wealth today, I want to urge you to look to God the Father as Aaron has already encouraged us, uh, who provides for his children. He superintends all wealth and work. Look to Jesus the Son, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who gave his life for a ransom for, as a ransom for sinners, and who lives under the, uh, so that under the Son we might glorify the Father and point others toward him. And I want us to look today at the Holy Spirit, who in John chapter 16 says he leads us into all truth. And uh, as Aaron uh, taught earlier, uh, his word is truth. 
So the preacher, or Colette uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes, wants us to see in this text that the vanity of work and wealth is when work and wealth is all you have. Like when work and wealth is all you have, then yes, it's absolutely vain and it's vanity. So, you know, even the value of work stands on its own. Um, What we tend to do a lot of times when we talk about work and wealth is we tie the value of work to the money it can make for us, right? Um, Carlton and I were talking about this in the office the other day, and he made the point. He said, you know, you think about it even when we talk to kids going to college or going into the workforce. You know, we, we talk about their career and what they want to do. What, what do we usually say about that? It's like, well, are you going to make money doing that? Or are you, <laughs> you going you know, to make good money doing that? It's not even about making money or a living. It's more about like, Oh, you need, you need to make good money, right? Um, so uh, we even talk to, to kids going into college and, and talk about those things. So um, how much money you can make. Uh, now, providing for yourself is biblical. Providing for your family is biblical. So we want to make sure you can, you know, a lot of the arts, because I can say this because I'm a musician, all right? The arts get a lot of flack a lot of times. You know, like, well, you can't make any money, you know, doing music or art or anything like that. How about that, Ellen? <laughs> Can't make any money doing that. And I mean, you can provide for yourself, okay? I know lots of musicians and lots of artists who are providing for themselves and providing for their families. You know, they might not be, like, knocking it down, as we say, you know, but they're providing. They're providing for themselves, providing for their families. So that's a biblical thing. Um, so uh, it's, it's biblical, it's right, but earning power is typically the first thing that we think about. You know, we think about jobs and, and things like that. So not whether our work can bring us joy and glorify God, which it should. Uh, so this is indeed vanity and striving after the wind. If that's, if that's all we think about when we think about work, that's all we think about when we think about wealth and earning money, that is absolutely vanity and striving after the wind. So um, we're going to jump into these verses that I have just read uh, as, as a whole And for a moment, what I want us to do is I want us to put a hold on verses 8 and 9, okay, and jump right in at verse 10. Notice I didn't say skip. We're not skipping verse 8 and 9. We're going to come back to it, but for a moment, we're just going to put a hold on it, uh, verse 8 and 9. We don't skip verses here at Grace Fellowship, uh, and I know that you guys would not let me do that, all right? So uh, we we do not skip verses. Hold. We're going to put a hold on verses 8 and 9 and jump right in at verse 10, okay? So in verses 10 through 17, that block of verses right there, verses 10 through 17, Colette's message is that if you put your hope in wealth, then you're never going to be satisfied. If you put your hope in wealth, you're never going to be satisfied. Have you ever been in a casino? Don't raise your hand. Don't, (laughs) don't, don't increment yourself or what do you say? (laughs) Don't, don't do that. Um, uh, don't raise your hand. Have you, if you, I mean, I'm not talking like, have you been gambling? I'm like talking like, have you stayed in a hotel that maybe had a casino in it? Or maybe you've walked through a casino or something like that. Uh, you've been on a cruise ship where there's a casino, all right? Uh, so <laughs> it, those, those places are fascinating if you've ever, like, stood back and watched, you know, a little bit. It's absolutely fascinating. Maybe, um, 
you know, it's the lights, uh, the sounds, uh, the, the people. <laughs> I like to people watch. And so I have maybe pulled up a time, pulled up a bench or a chair in a casino one time and just watched. <laughs> just been like wide-eyed at like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And um, it, is a, it is a fascinating place. So uh, I, I will say one time, <laughs> one time I went in a casino on a cruise ship with a buddy of mine who was going to play the ponies, as they say. And uh, I just, I was, I was like, just blown away. I was like, I, I was, look at this guy. He's just throwing money down. Like, like it's, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, it, it, it was enjoyable to, to watch. Uh, I did not want to take part, but it was enjoyable to watch, for, I guess. So, uh, but yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, these places. So, uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what you win in these places, I mean, the message that's being taught there is like, you can always win it back, like, or, or you can always win more, right? You know, if you lose something, well, you can always win it back, right? Um, that's kind of the message that people are, are sending in those places, and, and you can win back what you lost and more, okay? Uh, some people win, and some people win big, but the vast majority of people lose and lose big in those places, and, uh, you know, um, some people lose a few hundred dollars, and some people lose everything, and it's sad. It's very, very sad. Um, but the, you know, the, the thing is, really, it kind of boils down to they just weren't satisfied with whether they had much or whether they had little. No, satisf- no, no satisfaction there, you know. And if you aren't satisfied with what you have, like, you never will be. You know, if you aren't satisfied with what what God has given you, whether you have much or whether you have little, there'll be no satisfaction at all, ever. I mean, you ever think about, like, you ever think, man, if I get this promotion, if I get, make a little bit more money, then I'll be good, it'll be all right. What do you typically do? You spend that money, right? And then you think, well, maybe if I get a little bit more promotion, then we'll, we'll buy this house or whatever. Most people spend what they make, right? And, uh, you know, some people, some people, save really well, but most people spend what they make, and so we always think, like, just a little bit more money or just a little bit more um, supply will make us happy, but uh, if you aren't satisfied with what you have, you never will be, and uh, the Apostle Paul, he instructs us in this in his letter to the church at Philippi, uh, is what the key to being satisfied is with what you have, and he wrote this in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. You don't have to turn there. It's a very familiar verse, Uh, but the Apostle Paul said this, He said, not that I am speaking of being in need. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then, of course, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not just not winning a football game. You know, we don't, have to, we don't have to say that about that verse. No. He said, man, I've learned the secret to living in abundance or in need. Whether I'm being persecuted or whether I have everything that I feel like I need at that moment, I've learned the secret of being content in all those things. Um, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Christ and Christ alone gives us meaning and purpose to our work and wealth. Whatever work or wealth that we we find ourselves work, we find ourselves doing, or wealth we have, Christ and Christ alone gives meaning to that. And Colette expounds further in verses 13 through 17, and he says this, he says that hoarding wealth will cause you to lose it. 
You know, if we hoard our wealth, it'll cause you to lose it. And it'll also make your relationships very hollow and empty. Um, I've seen this many times uh, in uh, friends and people who've been in my life where they get so wrapped up in a job, so wrapped up in earning more money and earning more money. It's not just about providing. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about living in extreme excess. And, uh, and I've watched guys in ministry who, who had at one time said they had a call to ministry. I've, I've watched guys, you know, get into the rat race of work and, um, you know, in ministry, uh, you are aptly supplied, um, but, it, you know, they find a career that they think, man, I can just make all this money, and I, can, and I, and I watch them, and then before long, they're, they're completely enamored with it, and they're completely engulfed in it, and before long, ministry is not even a thought in their mind anymore. Uh, they're, just, they're just making money, and uh, he, he expounds on this in these verses. He says, you know, it, it'll, it'll make your relationships hollow and empty. And he compares it to this. He says, it's like being a father of a son, but holding nothing in your hand. And it says that in verse 14. It's like being the father of a son, but holding nothing in your hand. And no matter, no matter how much wealth you acquire in this life, you will ultimately leave it just like you entered it, as it says in those verses. And he says, naked and taking nothing with you. That's how we're all leaving this life, right? No matter how, from the person who has earn the most money they can possibly, you know, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, uh, uh, CEO, probably the richest guy in the world, I guess, maybe, is that right? All the way to the person who has nothing, uh, they'll all leave this world in the same way, exact same way, naked, taking nothing with us. Carlton mentioned earlier, uh, me talking, I kind of posted something online about uh, going to my grandmother's estate sale, and uh, you may have seen that post or not, but I'll just... uh, I, I did. I showed up at my grandmother's house the morning they had her estate sale just as kind of a shopper. And I was like, I'm just going to go and, you know, just walk through the house. And it's kind of a little therapeutic for me, but also I really did just kind of, I wanted to listen to people, kind of how they were talking about stuff. And it was just kind of an interesting thing for me. So I show up. Nobody knows I'm part of the family or the grandson. And I'm walking through this house that I had just, like, you know, grown up in. And Everything that's sitting out that's being sold like has meaning to me, you know, and to most people it's just like, oh, I can buy this and take it home. And uh, I had some really good conversations with some people after that about how when they go to estate sales, uh, Vaughn Binkwith called me. She's a, she's a big picker. Is that what they call them? <laughs> is that right? Yeah. So, um, and she has a booth over it. Was it Calhoun Pickers? Is that right? I mean, this is like a sale. for uh, go, go to Vaughn's booth at, at Calhoun Pickers. Um, so, uh, <laughs> promoting it for her. Um, so, but she'll go into a house and when she thinks about, like if it's a bowl she's buying or whatever, you know, she thinks about you know, the, the story attached to that and the people attached to that. And she thinks about how much it maybe meant to some of them. And as she is, um, as she's using it even sometimes, she'll, she'll take it and, and, you know, think about those people. And, uh, you know, so I, I think somebody mentioned that my grandmother had written maybe her name, like Jamie Swan on, on a bowl or something. And then, and then they got it. They bought it at the, at the estate sale and took it home with them. So, and she said, and I'm not going to wash that off. I'm going to leave it on there, she told me. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure every time I pull it out, I think about her and your family and what a blessing you guys are. And so that's really cool. But, uh, you know, I, I was walking through my grandmother's house that morning and listening to the things that people were saying about certain things. And my grandmother had a lot of shoes that she had never taken out of the box. Like, she'd buy shoes and uh, 
put them in the, uh, the closet and never wear them, you know, brand new shoes. And people are like, well, look at all these shoes, you know? And uh, so I was listening to these conversations that pe- these people were having as, as the grandson. And I'm just thinking the whole time, man, like somebody's going to be doing in my, this in my house one day, you know, or somebody's going to be doing this in your house one day. Like it's just stuff, right? You know, and uh, we're not taking any of it with us. We're going, we're, we're leaving this world um, naked, taking nothing with us. And, uh, you know, so these things have meaning to me, but to the people there, they didn't, they didn't have any meaning. So um, James said it really well when he wrote uh, in James chapter 4, I believe it is. He said, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And I think if we can have that, um, that perspective today when we think about work and wealth in our life, if we think about the fact that we are a mist that appears for a little while and then, and then vanishes, uh, then... What we do has more meaning, and what we do is given meaning by Jesus Christ. Um, in verses 18 through 20, as we look uh, there, it's the last few verses there uh, in, in chapter 5. Uh, it says the preacher, he, he kind of shifts his tone to focus on the enjoyment of whatever God gives you. So whether you have much or whether you have little, uh, he says that though vanity comes from wealth and work being all you have, much joy can be found in these simple pleasures of this temporal life. Even though we're leaving this, this world naked and having nothing, uh, we can have joy in these simple pleasures of temporal life. If God has given you wealth and possessions, it's fine to enjoy them. And make sure you enjoy the work that it takes to acquire them, too. Um, as a matter of fact, the focus in these verses is that clearly this all comes from God. No matter what you have, the wealth, the possessions that you have, they all come from God. And he, he says, um, the, the preacher says like six times just over the course of about four verses. He says, God has given. It is the gift of God. Um, now remember, like the scriptures didn't say like money is the root of all kinds of evil. It said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so there, there are possessions and, and wealth that, that God has given you that you can enjoy. Uh, God has given it. It's the gift of God. Um, so enjoy these things, but hold them very loosely. Hold them very loosely in your hands. Enjoy them and uh, know that, as it says even in verse 19 there, that God has given us the very ability to enjoy them. Not only has he given you the, the, the possession or the wealth, not only has he given you that, but he's given you the ability to enjoy it. Have you seen in this world, and this, this is a, a grievous evil, as the, as the teacher says, uh, someone who has a lot of possessions and wealth, but no ability to enjoy them. That's, that's very sad, right? But so he's even given you the ability to enjoy what you have, the possessions and the wealth that you have. I mentioned earlier about the uh, you know, casino, watching somebody, <laughs> watching somebody spend a lot of money in there. Uh, and win a lot of money, but uh, I like just in general just going with people like when they make big purchases, so y'all know that, like if y'all ever go and say like, you're going to buy a car, okay, just call me and say like, Adam, go with me to buy this car, because I love it, like I just, I love watching it, now I'm not going to promise I won't like poke you with sticks and like be like, no, get that one, you know, (laughs) but uh, I just, I enjoy that, I I enjoy watching people spend money, Uh, you know, (laughs) I do, it's it's awesome, but I, I yeah, I'm not going to promise I won't 
you know, have you spending more money than you, <laughs> you intended on when you went, right? So, uh, so let me know if you ever do that. Um, I went with a buddy of mine one time, and back when, like, TVs first became, you know, now you can buy like, a 50-inch TV for, like, what, 400, 500 bucks or whatever, you know. Uh, but back when, like, TVs were first a big deal, and you, a 50-inch TV was probably the biggest one you could buy at the time, and, I mean, you're talking, like, thousands of dollars, you know, for this 50-inch TV. And I remember he took me with him, and we went to uh, Best Buy. And, uh, I mean, I had him, I, he bought the best TV there. And, and it was really because of me. <laughs> I was just, like, poking him the whole time. Like, man, you could get that one, but you could really get this one. And um, <laughs> me and my neighbor, we have this thing. We kind of do this uh, at home, too. And we always, we always say, like, go on, you can do it. You know, just, like, come on, you, you, can, you can do it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, if you ever, if you ever just want to spend some money, take me with you. Um, <laughs> uh, so looking at chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 1 through 9 there, uh, Colette shifts his tone back to a warning. All right? So he's saying, yeah, you can enjoy these things, you can, en- you can enjoy these possessions, you can enjoy um, this wealth, because I've given it to you, and I have uh, given you the ability to enjoy it. But in chapter 6, verse, six verses 1 through 9, Colette, sh- Colette shifts his tone back to a warning. And... It is possible for a man to labor and toil for wealth and possessions all of his life while others enjoy and reap the benefits from his work. And we see this all the time, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, Usually the most unhappy person in a secular organization is the person at the top, right? I mean, they can have all the money, all the workers, man, they're they're working their jobs, and they're going, going home at the end of the day and not thinking about work. They're not thinking about work, and they're at home with their families and, and stuff like that. And then the person at the top, man, he's a, most of the time, he could be probably the, the most unhappy person in the organization. Uh, because more times than not, they have all the wealth and the possessions they could want, but their souls are not satisfied. You find someone at the top of an organization that is happy and that is satisfied, I guarantee you they're a Christian. I guarantee you they know the Lord. Um, because that's the only one. They, they can say, hey, man, I, I've made all this money, but it really doesn't mean anything outside of Christ. It really doesn't mean anything to me. Um, nothing has meaning or purpose without Jesus. Um, not only are their souls not satisfied, but they have no ability to enjoy their wealth and possessions. Others are enjoying the fruits of their work. You know, maybe they can't stop working you know, maybe, maybe somebody else is out there enjoying all the hard work they put in, and they can't stop working. They can't put work down to go enjoy something, enjoy being time, having time with their family or enjoy having time with their friends. You know, they have all this money, but they, don't have, they feel like they don't have any time. They're always saying, man, I just don't have any time or whatever because I have to work. I have to work hard. That is truly vanity and striving after the wind. In verse 3 in chapter 6, tells us that it's better for a man not to have been born than to have all the material and familial blessings in the world and no ability to enjoy them. And that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. It's better not even been born if you've got all that and you have no ability to enjoy it. But once again, we see that there's hope. And as the text that we read earlier kind of comes to a close today, the preacher asks a couple of questions that point us toward where that blessed hope lies. And he ends in verse 10 and 12. Uh, he, he ends with these questions. And he, he says, someone has already, already determined what you'll have in this temporal life. When he asks, 
Who knows what is good for a man where he lives the few days of his main life, which passes like a shadow? And who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? So those two questions, I mean, those of us who are in Christ today, which I would imagine that's the majority of us here, this is the gathered church. Um, It's possible there's unbelievers among us today, but I assume most of you know the Lord and are in Christ. So those of us who are in Christ today know that the answer to these questions is one person, right? Who knows? Who knows what will come after a man? And the answer that we find great hope and comfort in today is God the Father, as Aaron has already uh, helped us profess today. God the Father knows, and he sent his son Jesus so that we could know him, and therein find meaning to this life under the sun. So nothing has meaning. None of this work and wealth has meaning, except that we find it through Jesus Christ. It's in John chapter 6, and I am going to turn there in John chapter 6, and you can turn with me if you'd like, because we're going to read quite a few verses here. Um, John chapter 6. I'm going to do uh, verse 25 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. So what's happening here, what's, what's happened before we're going to start reading, is Jesus has just fed the 5,000 on five loaves of bread and two fish. And then after a scary night on the Sea of Galilee, uh, his disciples found him on the other side of the sea. And beginning in verse 25, you guys can read with me. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father will set, has set his seal. Then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to, them, to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So church, as we read this, like Jesus 
gives, he's the one who gives meaning to our wealth and work. He is the one. In Christ, your job, your work, isn't just a job, but it's a mission field. We know this, right? In Christ, like, your, your job isn't just a place you go every day to earn money, but it's also a mission field. It's also a place where, where Christ is at work through you and in you. And in Christ, your wealth, no matter if you have a lot or you have a little, your wealth isn't just a means to buy stuff, but it's a fountain of generosity that mobilizes saints to proclaim the gospel. And it also provides for those who truly, truly are in need among us. So if you have wealth, whether it's a little or a lot, because we could even say whether you feel like you have a little in our context, it's still wealth when compared to um, the entire globe. Whatever you have, little or a lot, it's not, just, it's not just for you to buy stuff, right? It's for us to fund the work of God. It's for us to care for those who are around us who truly, truly are in need. And in Christ, one day when you're dead and gone, your family is going to have a legacy of faith that will be passed down from generation to generation. Not just generational wealth, like money, but a legacy of Christ. And that's worth more than all the wealth that you could have. Material wealth is fleeting, but the wealth and riches of his glory are absolutely unlimited. So church, if you're in Christ today, rejoice and rest in that. But if you do find yourself here today, if you do find yourself here today and you feel like work and wealth is really all you have and all you're finding meaning in, um, then my encouragement to you our invitation to you today is to run to the one who really can give your work and wealth meaning. The bread of life, the living water that, that no money can buy. Uh, would you guys pray with me? And then we're going to talk about these first two uh, verses. Father, uh, that is our prayer today as we read the scripture. Father, may we... Um, view our work and our supply, our wealth, in such a way that brings glory and honor to you. And Father, not, uh, not as a way to, um, you know, for our own means or for our own purposes. Uh, Father, um, would, you, would you let our work and our wealth bless others and bless you, bless us even, Lord, Lord that we may enjoy the things that you've given us, the possessions that you've given us in the work, so that we can be a fountain of blessing for other people. That's our prayer, and that we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus until you come. Father, we pray for those among us today who, who may not be in Christ, may not know you. Father, we pray that they would run to that bread of life that we just read about in John, um, that they would know that uh, that never runs out. Wealth is fleeting but that never runs out. And Father, we uh, are grateful for this time in your word today. Father, may you write it on our hearts. Uh, let us hide your word in our hearts so that we will not sin against you and that we would grow and mature, becoming more like you uh, as we are grown up into the family of faith that you want us to be here at Grace Fellowship. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to make sure that uh, you guys didn't think I was, was uh, going to skip those verses, but uh, I did want to preach all of that 
to kind of go back to those two verses and to say that um, these verses at the beginning of our text today are they're, they're sort of the result of what happens um, if you do give your life to wealth and work, if that's all it is, if that's all wealth and work is. Uh, these, these two verses are sort of the result of what happens to that, and uh, I'm going to go back and read them really quick. It says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over, over them. But this is a game for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. When that's all there is, when work and wealth is all there is, and it's all you have, it's inevitably going to lead to the oppression of those under you. It's inevitably going to lead to a violation of justice and righteousness. Um, if that's the point, if that's the meaning behind your work and wealth. And we see it time and time again under the sun. And we're a blessed church, Grace Fellowship. We are a very blessed church. God has blessed this body, and God has poured out his kindness on us in so many ways. And I know, and I can say this, I can promise this. Like, I know there's no more generous church than Grace Fellowship. Like, this church blows me away all the time with the generosity uh, that is within this body. Uh, so my encouragement to us as we look at those two verses and we say, you know, like we want our work and wealth to have meaning in Christ. So let's continue to find meaning in Christ alone so that our wealth and our work continues to be that source of blessing for people that are in our path and, and not oppression and not um, a violation of justice and righteousness. Because that's what's going to happen if we find our meaning uh, anywhere else than in Christ. So uh, maybe during the course of this week, whether it's tonight or uh, later in the week when you meet with your home group, you can talk about that, and uh, that can be a discussion. Uh, you have three questions in your uh, worship guide this morning that you will be talking through with your home group, and as Corey encouraged you earlier uh, before baptism, we do want you to be involved in a home group, um, and we do want you to be there, and you'll, you'll discuss these three questions uh, uh, tonight or whenever you meet this week. And uh, we, we pray that it'll be a, a great time for you. If you're not in a home group, please come and see me or Corey or uh, Carlton, or uh, we, can, we can get you connected to a group. Um, I mean, my group meets um, on Sunday night. We will meet tonight at uh, six, 6 o'clock at my house. And uh, we meet, I live in Rainbow City. That's kind of a drive for far, some, some of you guys. We have groups all around here um, in, in this area that, that meet. So um, please let us know if you need a home group to be, to be in. So... Um, do we have any other announcements other than home groups? Anything else? Most everybody knows about the women's Bible study going on and everything like that. So, all right. Well, uh, if you'll stand together, uh, I want to dismiss this in a benediction today. Um, I'm going to read our benediction from 2 Thessalonians. Get my Bible to cooperate here. <clears throat> 